Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 23. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast. I appreciate all your support. This podcast is brought to you by my new sponsor, audible.com. If you're like me, you love to read books, and the problem is I just don't have enough time. i got so many books in my iPad and stacked up on my desk, I just can't get through them all. Well, audible.com certainly helps. They're a perfect solution. With over 100,000 titles, I guarantee you all your favorite leadership books, all your books are going to be available for you to download onto your iPod, your iPad, your smartphone, your Kindle, any MP3 player. You can easily get caught up on all your reading, driving to work or exercising at the gym. It's a great resource. And they got a special offer just for Dose of Leadership podcast listeners. If you go to my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, you can download a free ebook. Any book, any title that they have available, you can download it for free. They also got a 30-day trial. You can poke around, and it's a great opportunity to see all the resources that they have at no risk to you. One of my personal favorites in, in kind of keeping with the theme with who I'm going to interview today, Jim Goodrich, is one of my favorite books about uh, what it's like to be a World War II uh, Marine. It's called uh, With the Old Breed by E.B. Sledge. Again, With the Old Breed by E.B. Sledge. It's available at audible.com. It's a great book. So again, go to my website and download your free audiobook by going to doseofleadership.com slash audible, or you can also poke around on my website. You'll see multiple banners for Audible, and you can click on those, and it'll start the process. Again, download your free audiobook. Again, this next guest that I have, this this podcast is a little different than than some of the others that we've had so far, where Jim is not a, a consultant, he's not a, a an author, he's just a regular old guy, World War II vet, Iwo Jima Marine, and I became friends with him in 1999. And he's just got an amazing story. Um, I think you'll appreciate Again, I'm a big believer in getting these stories of these World War II vets out. I'm a big fan of, of, of capturing their stories on tape, and that's exactly what I did with Jim. So I hope you enjoy and, and are marveled as I am when I listen to Jim's story. Again, I'm a guy that just lives in Eden, Oklahoma. You wouldn't even know all the things that he went through if you saw him on the street. But we owe everything to these guys. And um, I hope you enjoy and appreciate the story that Jim has to tell. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jim Goodrich that I did earlier in the week. Thanks. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show a good friend of mine, Jim Goodrich. And uh, Jim is a uh, World War II vet, lives down in Enid, Oklahoma. I met him in 1999 when at a Marine Corps ball when I was stationed at Vance Air Force Base. And since then, we became friends. Jim's got a great, compelling story. And... Um, I'd like to share it with you. I brought it on the dose of leadership because, you know, what he learns and what a lot of our vets have taught us in the past, we can learn a lot from from what they can teach us from about leadership and all the sacrifices they made way back when. So, Jim, how are you this morning? Oh, that's fine. Well, Jim, I know that uh, yeah. was, I was just looking at my calendar. 68 years ago, you were uh, on the beaches at uh, Iwo Jima. Does it seem like it's been 68 years? Uh no, not really. <laughs> but uh, I went back in uh, 2009 to uh, Iwo Jima, and uh, uh, 
I didn't know whether I wanted to go or not. My doctor wanted me to go with him, so I went back, and it was it was kind of a kind of a closure for me there. I lost so many men on the beach and everything, and on the island. It, uh, I just I went back for a little prayer for them there, and kind of see how it was today there. But uh, it was a lot different to, than it was there. But uh, my grandson told me said, "Well, at least this time they were shooting at you." Yeah, that's right. So, well, let's let's. So uh, anyway, it was better this time. Yeah, let's let's bring the audience back to you know what was interesting is you, you were brought up in Oklahoma. Your mom died when at a very young age, right? What what age did she die? Yes, huh? Yeah, my my mother died when I was two. My dad was a driller in the oil field, so we traveled from state to state almost for Oklahoma to Texas and Texas back to Oklahoma. And uh, I was I was born in Oklahoma though and. But uh, I went to the school when I quit school to go in the Marines. I was uh, living in Pampa, Texas, out in the Panhandle. And uh, went through the dust storm out there, a dust bowl. And uh, then a uh, uh, war come along, and I always wanted to join the Marines. And I always saw them in the post office with the blues and saying, first to fight and all that. And I thought, that's what I want to do here. <laughs> so yeah. I quit school to, to join them, but... I went back home and got my GED after I got back out of the service. Well, you were pretty, uh, you were pretty um, as you said, you told me earlier on that you pretty much had to learn how to raise yourself at a pretty, pretty early age with your mom passing away so early and your dad was always out in the oil field. You had to learn how to take care of yourself pretty early yeah, on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, you know, was, uh, was farmed out to different people sometimes. You know, if I didn't stay home by myself, or, uh, yeah. You know, had different people to keep me, and I, I really didn't know where I was belonged there. Yeah, uh, I kind of grew up in the Marines, and they were kind of my mother and dad after I got in there. Yeah, I think after you told me you were 15 when Pearl Harbor broke out, right? Uh huh. Yeah, oh. 15 was Pearl Harbor was in December 7th, and uh, I, my birthday didn't come around till 16. I tried to join the Marines when I was 15, and they they caught me there. I, I got from Pampa, Texas to Oklahoma City, and uh, then uh, it uh, they caught me because they, I was born at Garber, so they, all they had to do was call out the vital statistics to get my, my birth certificate and said I wasn't old enough, so I I sent me home. They sent me home, and I come back then from Pampa uh, finally to Oklahoma City, and uh, I stayed there when Pearl Harbor come along on December the 7th. 41. I waited until May of 42 on my 16th birthday, and I figured that nobody was going to be at the recruiting station. They knew me the first time, which they didn't, and uh, so I went right on through then. I, I had my dad go with me, and he signed for me. Didn't you tell uh, you, that I was 17? Yeah, didn't you tell your dad that um, you kind of gave him an ultimatum, didn't you? You said. Look, you're going to vouch for me, Dad, or I'm going to go to Canada and join the Canadian Navy because the Canadian Navy was yeah. take, taking 16-year-olds, yeah. right? Yeah, I told him that. I told him that. Well, I said, if you don't sign for him, I'll go to Canada and join the Navy. I said, Canadian Navy, because they're not asking any questions up there. <laughs> I said, he said, well, I'd rather know where you're at there. And so I said, well, go with me and, and sign for me. So he went down to the post office in Oklahoma City there for the recruiting station, uh, the guy told him, said, if you'll sign for him, well, he can go on to work. My dad was working in the oil field right there in 
Oklahoma City. And he said, you can go on to work. So he said, okay. So he signed out with 17. And I went up through the physical and everything. And the recruiter asked me, he said, well, when would you like to leave? And I said, well, I don't know, really. And he said, well, how about tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> so I took out the next day there and trained there going to, to San Diego uh, from the Union Station in Oklahoma City. And a, uh, there was nothing on it but Navy and uh, Marines that were uh, recruits there going to San Diego. And uh, I got to San Diego, and I, I they, the uh, chief petty officer for the Navy come in and said, all you gentlemen in the Navy said, would you step out right out of here? They walk out there on the, on the uh, platform, and they loaded up in buses, and pretty soon the Marine DI hit that thing. All right, USOBs and Marines, get out of here and get into the three rows of corn there. <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and But uh, we, we got out of there, and I, I thought, well, I got in the wrong outfit right now. I know that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know what but, you were uh, getting yourself doing. I, I thought, well, you know, boy. But uh, anyway, we we went on out and uh, got on buses, and they took us to the recruit depot there. And, of course, guys were standing outside the gate, you know, you'll be sorry, you'll be sorry. <laughs> and I thought, I thought probably I would be, but, you know, it, it didn't bother me that much. Or the boot camp didn't. It was they were strict and everything, but I I didn't care. I've been used to taking orders like that, so yeah, it didn't make me that much difference, sir. Well, but, th- so then you finished your training, and then as you're 16, you found yourself going in the near the tail end of Guadalcanal, right? So you were were you still 16 yeah. when when you were going to the tail end of Guadalcanal? The what? Were you still 16 at the time, or were you 17? Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. See, I've joined it uh, in May of uh, 14th of. Uh, 42, and uh, I, my birthday wasn't the next year there, so yeah. well, I was on in the jungle there fighting at 16. There. Wow. And, you uh, know, one thing you told me years ago that I thought was so uh, interesting is that you never, you told me you never really thought about that you could get killed doing this until you were landing on the beaches of Guadalcanal, and I know it wasn't at the front end of Guadalcanal, it was near the end, but you said you saw, I think you told me you saw some bodies stacked up like cordwood and, yeah and that was the first time that it hit you that man you could probably die doing this yeah it really dawned on me you know because before my dad told you gonna get over and get killed <laughs> and i thought oh no you know i get and uh first we hit the canal there and uh, of course first marine division already been in there for quite a while and uh i looked over in the big big tent over there and i could see these bodies that i didn't know they were bodies at that i could see these uh, mattress covers laying in on all that time. I said, that's one old boy sergeant there. And I said, what's those over there in that tent? He said, that guy's got killed today. Oh, and man. it kind of dawned on me. They, you know, really, I guess you could get killed over it. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I didn't, it didn't really dawn on me there and hit me there but until then. I suppose when you're 16, but, uh, 16, you think you're invincible when you're that old, that age. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I thought, oh, 16, I had nothing there. It'd give me a VR to carry, and that thing was heavy as a dickens, but I carried that all the time with me. And uh, it uh, uh, was a good weapon. I had them carried for 16 months until I joined the 5th Marine Division. Wow. But I thought, you know, but uh, we were on patrol on the canal there, and uh, I was I was in a BR squad, they call it, 
fourth squad with a BR squad had two BRs in it. Right. And my lieutenant there, he was going to take the patrol there out. We were supposed to have a, a combat reconnaissance there. We'd, we'd just go out and hit the enemy and get it back, you know. Yeah. And uh, not stay around. But uh, we, my, my lieutenant there said, I wasn't supposed to go because in the fourth, they, they took their, the first three squads at the, on over there. And he said, good that you might as well go too. He said, I need more firepower. And I thought, oh, dang, you know. And so what, we went uh, out in the jungle. I was going along, wasn't really expecting to hit too much there. We hit their front line. They, we surprised them. They surprised us. And uh, they, we had a 12-man patrol, and we lost six men on it there. Wow. Uh, some dead and some wounded there. My lieutenant took a bullet in the stomach and cut his stomach wide open. And his insides were totally hanging out of it. Man. We had to put him on a um, make a new stretcher with rifles and our, our younger jackets on the terror to carry him back in. And then we'd, we'd, of course, we'd get tangled up in the brush and we'd drop him and poor guy knew he was suffering there. And then our sergeant, he was shot through the stomach and we told him he was going to have to get back the best way he could. So he used his rifle as a crutch and, and, uh, but we'd come back here, but, we got in. We were supposed to get in before before dark there, and it was almost 12 before we hit the front line. Then we were scared to go in. We were afraid we'd get shot from own men. Right. And uh, they, uh, we hollered at them there. And I, we had come in. To, I was in L Company, but we kind of hit the K Company front. And uh, because coming through that jungle, you don't know where you're at there. Yeah. You get lost real easy. And... Uh, I happened to know one of the guys that was, I was hauling up there, and he told him, said, well, I know that. That's good, Rich. He said, they let him come in. So we went in and got through the got through the front lines anyway. But my lieutenant died the next day. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and then my sergeant, he died too the next day. I don't know. Uh, I know. You never told me that story. I never, all the time I knew I never, I never heard that story on Guadalcanal. No. Uh, that was, that was, you know, People really, they, they don't think much of Guadalcanal or Tarawa, but, uh, you know, they, they, most people heard of Iwo Jima, you know. Yeah. That's what you want to hear about. Well, and, uh, was that your first but, uh, Was that your first firefight in Guadalcanal? Was that your first major one when that yeah, happened? Yeah, that was the it was first, really, at my firefight there. We'd, I'd killed a, a, a Jap major before that. My buddy and I, we were walking along, and uh, he stepped out behind a coconut tree, and uh, he's already been wounded by a shell fire, and uh, as the first one, I I threw up my BAR to fire. And I I guess I got chicken or something, and I couldn't fire. Really? And my buddy had a, a riot gun, a shotgun there, and he pulled the trigger. As soon as he pulled the trigger, well, I pulled my trigger, then I had ripped him up one side, and and uh, of course my buddy had got him, uh, my foxhole buddy had got him there with uh, that double rock buck. Wow, and we we killed him there, but it uh, that was my first one that that I saw, you know, really. But uh, after that, we went on a lot of patrols and everything there, and you know, we we get fire fights with them, but we didn't lose the men that we lost on that patrol. That was probably uh, I had right now. There was only one other guy that was in my old outfit there, L Company, when I was in. He was here not long ago, 
he's a minister down in Houghton, Louisiana. Oh, really? And he's uh, uh, the only two that we know that's left out of out of L Company, old old L Company. Wow. Of course, there's some more we went to a reunion, but uh, they came in after Tarawa. And uh, but uh, he was talking. We said, "You, you know, there's no way in hell we ought to really be here." Said, you know, and yeah. both of us there. I mean, there's but, you know, uh, you, you got to think about you know. I'm sure you probably thought about it over the years. Is like, what you know, how, how come? And you made it off Guadalcanal without a scratch, or did you get wounded on Guadalcanal? Uh, no, I didn't get wounded. Uh, just no, without a scratch. I did. I, I, I went through Guadalcanal and Terrell without a, a scratch. Wow. And but then I finally made up for it on Ewo there. Ewo, yeah. Hey, before we but, talk about uh, before we talk about Ewo, and then so you, how long were you on Guadalcanal? Uh, we were there for about 35 days. 35 days. And so then, yeah. then you come back, and then how long in between Guadalcanal and Tarawa? Uh, it must have been, we went back to New Zealand to, to train, but we had, all of us had malaria. Oh, really? And uh, I had uh, 13 attacks of it there. Gosh, damn, and, 13? Uh, we didn't have enough men to even uh, to train, because uh, we, uh, we were so ate up with malaria, and we'd... There were two places in New Zealand it was called Trenum Racetrack and uh, Silverstream. And if you got to go to Silverstream, you had a good chance of going sent home. So that was real bad cases. But I never got, I got just to, to uh, Trenum Racetrack. And like I said, I made 13 attacks there. Um, and we'd come in the tents. We'd live in tents there. And our guys that have a sea bag on, they'd say, are you coming or going? <laughs> we didn't know whether the guys were coming from the hospital or going to the hospital. Man. But, and, uh, but they had this old racetrack and they had, had it boarded up on, on the side for the underneath it where they could, uh, put cots in there for, for us there. But, uh, then we finally, finally got where we could train and got replacements for the guys we'd lost. And, uh, and I guess we was, uh, there about three or four months. Wow. Before we hit Tarawa, so now you're heading back to Tarawa. So now you've probably whole different level. Now you're probably what's explain to me. I've never asked you this. What explain the difference? Okay, so now you're going to Guadalcanal. You get on the beach and you didn't think you could die. Now you're getting ready to go into Tarawa. What were you thinking then? How was your what was your your thoughts? Before, you know, going into Tarawa. Uh, well, we had you know we was on forty five days. It put us on troop transport, and we spent 45 days before New Zealand to Tarawa, and we were, so the sailors were sick of us, and we were sick of the sailors on now. So you're ready they to go. They would all come around with hoses on, clean the sweep down, and if you'd land down, it'd, it'd blow that, that water all over you, and, and of course, there's a lot of fights going on. <laughs> yeah. We were ready to get off of there by the time we got to Tarawa, but, uh, of course, I didn't land on the first landing on that uh, when we went in. I went on to Green Beach there later, and uh, but we we got on the Higgins boat and we uh, had a rendezvous circled out there uh, for almost a day, and we we were ready to get off that thing too. Man, but uh, it, you know the tide was uh, coming out and it should have been going in, and uh, we had. Uh, uh, the Higgins boats were hung up on the the coral on the, right? uh, on the coral. Yeah, and uh, we got 
my mine hung up about a thousand yards off the shore. Five hundred yards. About a thousand. Man. And time uh, we drove the swabby running up there, and he he got hooked up and let the ramp down. And this is it. As far as I go, uh, jumped out and I jumped out the water. I was carrying a, a can of water for it there. Uh, we knew his water was going to be scarce. Right. And and so. I jumped off one over my head, so I lost that can of water the first thing. Man. But uh, we got, got finally got ashore, but they were they were shooting at us there going in. You, you don't want to duck under the water, but you couldn't stand up there that long. Yeah. And we finally did get in the shore, and uh, he stood behind the seawall they had there, and it was it was just about four or five foot tall, the seawall. And as long as you stay behind that, you was all right, but. You stuck your head up, uh, you mostly you got it blew off, man. Man, but uh, you told me a pretty amazing story. I was saying you told me a pretty amazing story about uh, isn't that where the the, the Japanese sniper you you he called you over and some other marine came up and oh, stepped yeah. in, in your uh, yeah that was we we got down to the end of the island there we could you know if you could get up and look you could see the end of the island you know it was just flat almost there but to what pillboxes they had built up but uh, we got down to the the end of it almost and our company took the rest of it there two big guns down there that took off of singapore and had stationed there but uh, they had been knocked out by the navy but uh there's a big shell over there and uh my my buddy there the one that helped me shoot the first jet there yeah uh, in fact he just died here uh last year was my my foxhole buddy. Yeah. And I lived down in Florida. He passed away there. But anyway, we had this shell hole and I was standing in the shell hole and he was looking out at the I was looking down towards the Indy Island where the guns were, the big uh naval guns. And uh he was over looking out the other side on the on the right side looking out at the, the ocean there. And uh he proceeded said, Good rich get over here And I, I said, What do you want? He said, get over here. So I said, okay. So I, I got out and walked over to where he was. There was another guy, Gamble, a kid in our company, went over and stood right exactly where I was there, put his, his boots right there and, and the footprints of mine, and they drilled him right between the eyes there. Man. And I, if I had stayed there, I'm sure he was taking a beat on me, and I, I moved, and that was it, you know. Wow. And... uh I'm, I'm sure that if I'd have stayed, well, I, I'd have got it. I don't know if the good Lord was looking after me or or just dumb luck or what. Or, well, but, something was looking after me. And I asked my buddy after that, I said, I said, Phil, what did you want? He said, you know, for the life of me, I can't even think of what I wanted. He just felt compelled to call you over. He was your... Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. How long were you on Tarawa? We were only there for uh, uh, three days. Three days, so not very long. Yeah, three days, and then my my battalion, and we went back aboard ship. Or uh, after the island secured, we went back aboard aboard the ship, and uh, uh, they said, "Well, we got another little job for you there," and they were going to take us down to a little island called Apamama, and I'm at the Island of uh, Moonlight, and. Uh, the natives on there was a uh, real, real nice lady, you know, Polynesian. And 
had a garrison of 35 Japanese on it, and they said we were going to have to land and uh, wipe them out there. And uh, we got there and was about ready to get into our Higgins boat to go into the shore, and a uh, rubber boat come out there with uh, four or five guys in it, and they said, I said, don't, don't bother. I said, we come in, and they were scouting sniper outfit. They went in during the night and uh, caught the Japanese uh, sleeping and killed all of them. Wow. And so we did, We went in, and we stayed there for, well, I think about three or four days we stayed there. And, uh, the uh, 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 the acorns come in and for making airfield for it. And Navy is kind of like construction outfit, like CBs. Right. But uh, they come in to make a, make an airfield there. And when they came in, well, we leave, we left then, and, and they went to Hawaii. So then you went to Hawaii and, to do the training and get ready for the big um, invasion of Iwo Jima, right? Yeah. Yeah, it sent me back. It was supposed to be we got back to uh, Hawaii, and uh, we were supposed to... Uh, we go up 100 and, they said 101 or two of us that they picked out of the division to go back to the States there to form the 5th Marine Division. But we didn't know that at the time they were going to form it. They just told us we'd get our sea bags ready and we were headed back from the States there. And got back to the States and first thing they did is put me in a Raider Battalion. Wow. And I said, Raider Battalion? I said, that's an all-volunteer outfit. <laughs> and I said, we didn't, we didn't do this. A buddy of mine, that I'll tell you about, we stayed all together, the three of us, we stayed all together through uh, Watertown, Tarawa, and back to uh, Hawaii, and then back to the States. And then uh, two of us went back to Ewell. One of this one that uh, I'm talking about, Phil, that shot, and then one that called me over to to uh, uh, get me to waste my uh, footprint chair I was in. Uh, he he went to Treasure Island. They sent him up to Treasure Island. Okay. And uh, he he pulled a booty duty there. But uh, uh, Dave and I we we went on back. We had a, um, both of us had a machine gun squad there then, and we stayed together. We got uh, he got hit uh, three days before I did. There. Three days before you did. So <clears throat> you're on the you're on the one of the first initial waves, right, in Iwo Jima. The what? Were you on one of the first waves into Iwo Jima? Yeah, we was at we were the first wave going in. The first wave, the first uh, ones going in was the Amphib tractors with a had a seventy five on mounted on the the front of it, and they were really right in front of us. And then uh, the uh, the Amphib tractors I went in on. We come in, we landed the nineteenth. We landed nine o'clock in the morning. It was a First wave going in of man troops here, and uh, what was I, it? What was it like? Uh, can you describe to me what what the sensations of it? What what was it like on that first wave? Well, really, we got in pretty good. The first wave, we got in pretty pretty good. Uh, we we just taken, of course, small arms fire uh, from Siribachi was firing right down on us there. Uh, you dig a hole where there wasn't any place to go, but they looked right down onto and. Uh, I had uh, another buddy of mine there that I had buddied up quite a bit uh, from San Francisco. Uh, he was uh, uh, on the Amphib with me, and he was heading on the 
right side and I was on the left side. We've been talking about, you know, before we get off of this, we'll get this and do that, you know. And he, uh, I told him, I said, well, I, when that landed, I said, well, I'll see you this afternoon or this evening, you know. He said, yeah. And uh, he was killed within the hour there. Wow. He went out one side of the amphib and I went out the other. That's the last time I, I got, a, got to see him there. But uh, Man. he was uh, he was a good Marine, but he was I I keep in touch right now with his brother. Oh, do you? Yeah, his brother. Uh, we had a piece in the magazine, and he was talking about his brother was killed on Eagle and thinking Little Island and everything here, and uh, but he didn't know anything about it there. And so my grandson there, he he said, "Well, let's find him." So he called him up, or I talked to him, and he he was telling me that he didn't know anything about his brother there, uh, but what the lieutenant come up to the the, the door and told him, you know, right. that uh, that he's, he's sorry to inform him that his son had been killed on Ewell there, and he said his mother never had a Christmas after that. Oh my gosh! That that she was she was so put out with it and everything, and she never had. He said, so I never had a Christmas after that. Wow. But uh, he, he calls me every once in a while. He was in the Marines, though, too. Later, he, he went to Korea. Oh, did he? And fought in Korea. But uh, he'll call me every once in a while. We'll, we'll talk to each other there. Good. But he still lives out there in, uh, near San Francisco, a little town. Yeah. So but, you, uh, you made it, uh, well, a couple things I always found fascinating, too. You were a couple, eyewitness to a couple historical events. So obviously, you saw the... Both flag raisings on uh, Iwo Jima. You were down on the beach, right? Did you you got to? I mean, you you saw yeah. the flag flying up there, anyway. Yeah, we the you know the first flag went up. You know, yep. it was little, and they took it down. Yep. And then they put up a bigger one, but uh, that uh, that was the one that everybody could see. And uh, but I watched both of them through the binoculars. I had binoculars for of a machine gunner, and so the crew leader. So I had I carried the binoculars. And uh, some, one of my guys said, you know, what's going on with Shirobachi up there? I looked up there and I said, well, they're putting up a flag. <laughs> and uh, he get, uh, we watched it there and go up. And then, uh, then later they, they took it down. I thought, well, what are they taking it down for you? And that's when they put up the bigger one there. Right. And, uh, but right. Uh, it, was, it was something to see, you know, like I said, it... Uh, there were ships out in the bay, and they were they were blowing their whistles, yeah. and and uh, guys were hollering on the beach and everything. And, and but uh, usually when we put up the flag, you know, well, we figured we had it won, you know. Yeah, but you had a lot more fighting ahead of you, didn't you? There was a lot more fighting to go after that. There was that was that was about fifth fifth day, and so they had another almost thirty days yeah. of fighting before it was over with. You know, but, and then uh, you also saw. Um, John Bassalone shortly before he died, right? Yeah. Uh, John Bassalone came by. Was, I was pinned down on the beach here after we landed and had a terrace area and you couldn't hardly get up that thing. You know, it, it's like the running was in that sand was kind of like a, a wheat, a wheat, you know. Yeah. You, you, can't, hardly, you can't run in it. And uh, so we were pinned down then and uh, uh, John Bassalone Asked me if my gun was working. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, Dad, if you don't mind," he said, "We got a pillbox up here holding us up." 
And I said, well, sure, you know, you use it. And so he, he came by, and just a few minutes before he come back by, and he said, oh, boy, that. He said, I don't need it. He said, I found mine. And they, they run out there a little ways. I don't know. It was he and about four of his men, and a, a show landed and, and killed all of Maryland. Wow. But they had this uh, Pacific thing here and on TV, you know. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Like that band of brothers. Yeah. And uh, it showed him getting hit with a machine gun, but, but he, was, he got killed by mortar fire. By shell, yeah. Show landed and hit him and his men. But, uh, so 19, I, I, I was thought, you know, he didn't have to be there. Yeah. You know, he, he, he volunteered. Could have, he could have right. stayed in the States and, and, uh, throw war bonds and, but he, he wanted, to, wanted be, to be back with his men. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And he just got married right before he came back too. He, he, he had just got married to another Marine, I think, before he came back to Iwo, right? I think he got married right before he went back to Iwo Jima. He was he got married to to a Marine. Yeah, that uh, there's a guy here in town that's a nephew of his. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, he works for the Ward Petroleum Company here. Hmm. And uh, I've talked to him there, and I didn't know he had been married there. You know. Yeah. But because uh, when we was in uh, Hawaii, where we stationed. Uh, his outfit was, was the uh, right across the the road from ours. Twenty uh, seventh was one side, and uh, the twenty eighth was on the other, and that was his. And uh, he was just right across. I saw him all the time you know, while we were training, and everything. So nineteen days into Iwo Jima, that's when you. I think you told it how you told it to me the first time I heard it. it said you never saw an alive Japanese soldier's face on no. Iwo Jima until that day that you got shot as you came out of that great hole over the log. Can you tell me that story again? Yeah, well, um, you, you know, really, you, they, they were they were shooting at you from everywhere, you know. Right. They had spider traps where you walk by, and they'd, they'd open up and, and shoot you in the back there. And, uh, but you never hardly ever saw a live one. And uh, if, if, if you kill one in a pillbox or something, they just drag him off and, and somebody else take his place there. And, uh, but, uh, at this one that, uh, when I got, got hit there, uh, we had a, uh, yeah, had a officer's corner there in the morning, uh, that morning. And, uh, I just got mail call and then, the lieutenant had us all gathered up around and the sergeants and all, it was in charge of the guns and stuff, but we lost so many men. We had PSCs that were were acting sergeants and everything. Right. But uh, yeah, he he looked at me and he said, uh, "We've got uh, you got six guns. I had six guns then. I was taking care of." And he said, uh, "Can you account for all of them?" I said, "I can count for five. I can't count for six. He said, "Well, they're getting some fire from somewhere." He said, "That could be your gun." He said the Japanese could have took it over. And he said, I think you better go find that. And so we have to let us go, you know, dismiss this. Well, I took off and went back and was, uh, had my carbine in one hand and had a hand grenade in the other one with a pull, the pin pulled on it. And, uh, uh, this is, uh, I've just stepped over a log, jumped over a log here. Uh, 
they hit me right in midair there, and I flew back there and felt like a 10-ton truck hit me. And uh, I was laid there, and I could see the fan kicking up in front of me. He was still trying to, to get me and again. So I figured I better get out of there, and I, I run out, and uh, and my legs give out, and I fell in a, in a hole. And uh, so a buddy of mine was a corpsman, was up on the ridge and I hollered at him and he came over and and patched me up and told me, said, you know, and said, I asked you, I, I wouldn't feel down there where I was at. <laughs> I was afraid to. Right. I could still I could see my lieutenant on the canal, but his whole guts started yeah. shot out him. Right. So uh, I didn't want to feel it. And he said, oh, it's not so bad there. And yeah, about that time, somebody else was over to my right was hollering, Corman, Corman, Corman. And he said, I got to go. So he took off, and if uh, stretcher bears had come by that time, he, and of course, stretcher bears are, are the band members. Yeah. Uh, their job is after they get in, they haven't got anything to play for, so, you know. <laughs> They're the stretcher they got, bears. might as well carry the ones out. And they, they told me, they said, you know, they said, one's as good as another, and they put me on there on the stretcher. And, uh, uh, just as we got ready to take off, a sniper opened up on them, and they dropped me, uh. and I rolled off the stretcher, and then they had to had to put me back up on the stretcher there, and then we, we made it back to the battalion. But uh, as supposed to, they, at Corma, they gave me a shot of morphine. Right. And uh, when they give it to you out in the field, it's supposed to mark you with a red M. Right. That you had more, you know, shot. And, uh, we, he didn't mark me. I got back there and I said, uh, said you told me, said, you know, I said, we're going to give you another shot of more. I said, no, I've already had one. I don't need it. I didn't really feel any, any, any pain then. And they said, well, it's a good thing you said something about that. We'd give you another yeah. shot of morphine. Yeah, if and you, that would have been real quick. Yeah, if you would have been, I've a, got a, if you would have been asleep that w- and that other shot of morphine would have killed you. Yeah, that would have done it. I've done me in there. Wow! But then they took me back to uh, the uh, back to Siribachi, back where we uh, was. Uh, the aid station was back there where the doctors were. Yeah. And uh, they put me out, put me on a Higgin boat, and took me out to a hospital ship out in on the bay, and we got out there. With, I guess it was six or eight of us on that, that uh, Higgins boat. And, uh, and we got there and they said, you might as well take them back ashore. He said, we've got them in the aisle. We've got them in the companionway. We've got them everywhere. He said, we can't take another man. Wow. And so they, they got uh, Coxon said, okay. So he turned Higgins boat around, took back for shore, and they laid us out on the, on the beach again. And the doctor come by and looking at us there and he he said, I, I better take you right now. I said, and operate. Wow. So they had a table in there, and they just laid me out on that table and, and going to operate on me there for my insides there. And it, the uh, corpsman that was helping him, you know, I, he said that start counting back, you know, from 100 there. I, I got to 98. <laughs> he said, well, that fits you in. I said, 27th Marines, that's the last I, I can remember until I woke up. 
And uh, in a, the doctor was sitting there right by me then. But he had a, had a good surgeon. Yeah. And everybody looks at the wound. He said, well, I don't know who your surgeon was, but that was good. And I told him, well, that was done on the beach. Said, what? Yeah, right there, said, yeah, right there in the dirty, sandy beach. Took out some of your damaged intestines, but pretty much everything else was, was undamaged, right? Missed all your, yeah. ki- missed your kidney, yeah, missed everything else. Yeah, my inside, you know, and checked them over, you know, to be sure it wasn't cancer or something. Yeah. And then cut out some of the intestines and, and fastened them back together. And I don't know how long I stayed there on the beach here in that hospital, but, you know, he just had dug down a little bit there and then a tent over it. And while I was laying there, you know, I'd, I'd wake up and, Every once in a while, shrapnel would come through the tent there, and the sunlight would come through it. You had a, you had a new new hole of sunlight every time you woke up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was waiting for another hospital ship to come in. but uh, And then they eventually then they came in. got you in, and then you, the war was over for you. Yeah. Well, I was I was back in training there for, I, had a, uh, I was in a, a replacement battalion. And I was ready to go back over for the third time. And uh, uh, he, uh, they dropped the bomb there. Yeah. And uh, But uh, I had uh, we were all ready to go to Tencent, China. Wow. And I thought, you know, but I was glad to see the bomb there. <laughs> and uh, I stayed in, though. I'd, I'd signed up for four years when I had there in Oklahoma City. And, uh, oh, I had enough points, then had points to get out. But uh, I had enough points, I could have got out. But when you sign up for it, you're going to do your four years. Yeah. So I signed up for four, and they said, you're going to do four. Uh-huh. So they did. I, I, I did my four years, uh, four years in one day. Wow. To get out. Well, Jim, I've seen the scars on your stomach and your back. I've seen the letter that was in your breast pocket that has the bullet hole yeah. in it. And uh, I've been amazed by your story. I've known you since 1999. And um, like I said, I, I, I'm always amazed by your story. And one thing that when I saw you last year, when I visited you, and I asked you how did this all this define you, and, and you sat there with your wife and you said it didn't so much define you, it refined you, and you you learned how to, to love another human being. And I thought that was so... Awesome, and uh, it's the thing that's really struck when we talked last year about that. And um, I appreciate everything you've done, Jim. You're you're a hero of mine, and and thank you for all your service. And you're a good friend. Well, and uh, thank you for everything that you've done. Well, thank you, Richard, for asking and being interested in it, there. Because yeah. I'm I'm afraid that uh, if uh, if we don't get the story out, like I go to these uh, different schools and uh, talk to the kids there. And I told them, you know, uh, if their grandfather's around or their uncles or something, I said, get their story. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. You know, and if they don't get it right now before they're, they're gone, you know, uh, it's going to be too late. Yeah. And all they'll have then is letters like from the Civil War, you know. Mm-hmm. That's about all they had was uh, letters that uh, people wrote back. And, uh, but like now, if they can, they can get the ones like, you know, but they're getting like my outfit, like uh, our shilling is one guy I was telling you about from it's uh, from Houghton, Louisiana. Uh, we're the only two yeah. that's left from the old L company, you know. And we're just we're getting less of us all the time. Yep. And, You're about a birthday uh, coming up here, and uh, what day is your birthday? 
Do what? What day is your birthday in March? Uh, mine? Yeah. May 8th. Oh, May 8th. That's oh, right. I said March. So May 8th, you're going to be 87. Is that right? Yeah, I'm 87. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll have to come down I'm there. I'm lucky. I, guess I still got my mind a little bit. Yeah. Well, and you got a great but, wi- you got a great wife there and a great family. And and uh, how is your oh, yeah. how is your grandson? I haven't heard much money. Is he still uh, writing his book? Well, yeah, he's still writing on his book. But he's writing about uh, um, trying to get it published with the, with the uh, old World War One uh, Bella Woods. Right. And uh, he's uh, I've got one copy. He's got me it, but uh, he's trying to get the other one before he gets. As soon as he gets through with that book. He he's got uh, he like you he's got uh, recordings down there he's got enough recordings of me there that that uh, he's going to write a book on me there then good so All right. but he's still taking teaching history down in Texas and he's uh, got his masters and he, he's uh, teaching uh, three nights a week at a junior college down there too right besides uh, high school. Of, of history teacher. Well, Jim, but he t- called me the other night there when they landed on the nineteenth. He never forgets it. And he'll call me on the tenth. The day I got hit, he'll call me on March tenth and, uh-huh. and 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 say, "Grandpa, you remember what happened then?" <laughs> but but he's awesome. pretty good about not forgetting there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Jim, I've taken up a lot of your time this Saturday morning. I appreciate you taking the time, and and um, we'll get down there next couple of weeks with the family. We'll come visit you soon. Okay, Good. I hope that helps you there, Richard. Oh, it certainly does. Yeah. All right, Jim, yeah. you have the anytime else you want want something. No, just give me a holler. We'll do, Jim. Take care. All right, all right. Simplify. Simplify. Bye bye. Bye. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.